Acts chapter 4 is where we are. If you're ready, say, let's do it. Leading up to verse 23, which is where I'm going to read, the Spirit of God has been poured out. The church has begun. They're making what some would call good trouble. There is the gospel being preached. Someone just got healed. It's caused a little bit of ruckus. And now people have thrown them in jail. They've now been released from jail, and they come in verse 23 on their release. Peter and John went back to their own people, and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God and said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then they prayed what Hannah just read, which was from Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Spirit of God, and they spoke the word of God boldly. I want to talk about a community of boldness. Let's pray. God, help. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So I love the story of the man that was looking for some work and he saw an advertisement he could make $200 a day at the local zoo. And so he went to the zoo, inquired as to the nature of the job to make 200 bucks in a day and they told him, well, what happened was one of our animals is actually sickly and it's one of our favorites, it's the gorilla and we need a gorilla as the people come as we don't want to have like a bait and switch. So we, we have a very realistic looking suit. We want to put you in a gorilla suit. And all we need you to do is just entertain them from a distance and do good enough jobs so that no one really knows the difference. And get through the day, we'll give you 200 bucks. By tomorrow, the gorilla should be fine. He said, okay, how hard could this be? So he gets in the suit. It's kind of hot, but he gets into the cage. Not really the cage, the area. You know, it's the gorilla area right next to the lion area. And he's kind of doing his thing. And he starts to move around a little bit. And when he does, man, the people got into it. And then he made a few grunts, and when he made some grunts, the people began to cheer. And the more they cheered, the more he got excited, and the more he really realized he, he's actually pretty good at this. As he was entertaining the crowd, and they're, they're going at it, and the crowd starts to come. The crowd gets bigger, and they're getting a little louder, getting a little more rowdy, and he's getting more excited. He sees a vine. He figures, you know, what, what the heck? I'm just going to go ahead and take the vine. And he begins to swing on the vine to the left and swing on the vine to the right. And, and the more they cheered, the more he got bold, and the bolder he got, and the more he went, he forgot that that he really didn't have a good grip on this thing. And next thing you know, he lets go and lands on the ground on the other side of his area in the lion's area. Which now freaks him out when he looks and he sees the lion, looks at the people, doesn't care. He stands up and begins to shout, help, somebody help, get me out of here. I'm done, this, just help. And everything he can think of just to say, please somebody come and help me. To which the lion jumps and pounces on him, puts his paw on his face. And says, buddy, you better shut up or else you're going to get both of us fired. <laughs> See, it's easy to be bold when there's no danger. Isn't it? 
It's easy to be bold when, when there's really nobody that's, that's watching or opposing or coming against you. It's, it's kind of easy to burn when, when, when there's no opposition. The, the question is, do you realize that you are made, you were made to burn. Like there, you, were made, you were made to burn, to be bold. I'm, I'm thinking about it this weekend because we have a lot of teenagers that have been at a weekend where one of them said last night, man, I'm so fired up. Now, any of you that have been around church for a while, you've heard a term like that. The danger for some of you that grow old is that you remember the days when you were fired up. And you say, man, yeah, I remember those days of being on fire. See, by the way, the sign and the wonder is not if you can get on fire. The sign and the wonder is if you can stay on fire. Like what's amazing is not that Bud Taylor gave his life to Jesus, I don't know, 20-ish or more years ago. Bud, what year did you get saved? What year did Jesus save you? 49? 1949? 46? Wow. You're 12 years old. See, see, the sign and the wonder of Bud to me is not just that he met Jesus and fell in love with Jesus all those years ago, literally in another century. It's the fact that Bud even... <laughs> oh, that did not come out like I was thinking it would. <laughs> That's accurate though, Correct. I mean, how many of you were born in another century? Okay, there's a lot of us. A lot of you were born in another century. All right. Yeah, just so you don't get too uppity here, right? What's amazing to me is that just a few years ago, when Bud was still living here in Gainesville, Bud was still leading people to the Lord. Like, that's what's amazing is when you're you're still passionate about the God who saved. See, you and I, we were made... We were made to burn, and the enemy wants to snuff out your fire. Like, that's what the enemy, he wants to snuff, he wants to dull your passion. But in the book of Acts, what you find is that the Acts believers, it started in Acts 1 and 2, but by the time you get to the end, they kept their fire. How did they do that? Now, what I wanted to do was, I, I wanted to do, I wanted to make you a fire, okay? I planned, fully planned to do that inside the room. The problem is, I read here on the front, it says, Warning, burning charcoal inside can kill you. That's literally what it says. So what I'm going to do is I'm, instead I'm going to walk back stage. We're going to go back here, and I'm going to do this out here so none of you die. Everyone say, thank God. All right, so I'm going to take it back here. Are you following me? All right, we're going to take it back here. We got Byron. Everyone give some wild applause for Byron here. Byron, where do you want me to put this? All right, so I'm going to take this charcoal, and I want you to light that charcoal for me, if you would light it. The first thing I want you to understand is that you, you, were, you really were made to burn, okay? You and I were made, we, we were made for this fire that's inside of us. The problem with this one charcoal, he's lighting up this one fire, I believe it's, there it comes. He's going to light this thing. I'm not sure if you've ever tried to light one piece of charcoal, but even if it gets lit, it will not stay lit. That's why the first point I want to make today, see, how did the early church keep their fire? What I want to say to you is they, they didn't just have one, one charcoal that was going to make it. You need friends. So would you go ahead, can, can we go ahead, because that's already gone out. The fire's already gone out on this thing. Would you go ahead and arrange this? You and I were made for community. You and I were made to not just be one charcoal that stays by itself, but you and I were made now, come take a look at this. Can, can you get it in there? You and I keep the fire when we are in community, when, when we are 
connected with other people. Now, I'm going to, Byron, can you go ahead and take this and start to fire this thing up for me? Thank you. By the way, wild applause for Byron for me. That's great. Byron, they're cheering for you. All right. I'm back. All right, there it is. So we just, we're coming through a pandemic right now, and the, all the stats I'm reading are saying it's like 60% of Americans at this point are lonely. Uh, there's an epidemic of loneliness. Like the UK has, they have like a minister of loneliness that's literally uh, trying to help with this stuff. The BYU had a report. They were talking about the health implications of loneliness uh, over time. According to research at BYU, the heightened risk of mortality from loneliness equals, so check this out, the, the risk of, of dying from loneliness over time, it is the same thing as smoking 15 cigarettes a day or being an alcoholic, and it exceeds the health risks associated with obesity. In other words, the science on this is that you're, you are better off eating Twinkies and donuts with your friends than going to the gym by yourself. How many of you are like, praise the Lord, I just felt, I just felt God come in this room right now, right? Now, what's even better is go to the gym with your buddies, all right? That's even better, all right? <laughs> but the, the point here is, see, we need, we need friends. A lot of you might, might have watched the Academy Awards this past week. You heard the slap heard around the world, and uh, after Will Smith brings the slap, you know, and, on Chris Rock. Immediately then when that was done, you know, there was one person kind of tweeting, yep, that's how we do it. One, one set of community was saying that, and then you got Denzel on the other side that's like trying to talk him down. Hey, man, when you get to your height, that's when the devil comes at you the most. And, and what you see is like a contrast of counsel. There's a contrast of community. There's a contrast of friendships. When I was a youth pastor, I was the youth pastor of our church for 10 years. When I was a youth pastor, I would say, often, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. See, the teenagers know. <laughs> show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Because if you want to be wise, you need to walk with the wise. If you want to be, whoa, there it is. <laughs> now, now, you notice that's doing a little bit better right now. <laughs> this is comedy right now. Okay, this is great. When, the, when there was just one of those bricks, it's not going to do that. But when, when you put those bricks together, now there's a potential that it did not have previously. Because you need friends. You need people that come together and they bring you. But what we're going to find in this passage, in verse 23, it says, When they got released, they immediately went to their people. I, I do just need to ask you. When you're getting released from whatever prison or suffering or bad doctor's report or trial that you have endured, do you have people that you go to? Who is your go-to people? Because what we know is if you don't have your go-to people, you'd be better off smoking 15 cigarettes a day, becoming an alcoholic. I'm not saying do this. What I'm saying is the evidence is without your people, it's the same thing as, as, as setting yourself up for emphysema and, 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 and liver disease because you need friends. But what we see in verse 24 is when they heard this, they raised their voices in prayer together to God. And they said, Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea. And you spoke this stuff by the Holy Spirit. Number one, you need friends. But number two, you need friends who point you to Jesus. I want to say it again. Teenagers, you need friends who point you to Jesus. 
Parents, let me say something to some of you parents that even right now when you saw, maybe there were some of you that even watched some of the teenagers all fired up this morning like, isn't that nice? Yeah, I remember when I used to be like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, that will wear off. Let me break something down. Whenever briquettes separate from other briquettes, the fire always wears off. You need to understand, there are some of us that feel like we grew up and got mature and we sort of got above this whole thing of like the, the simple faith, and yet in the scriptures, in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, don't be those that forsake your first love. I don't want to hear anyone say to some teenager that gets fired up for God to say something like, well, give it time, that's going to die down. I'll tell you what happens. If you separate from other charcoal bricks that love Jesus, your fire will go down. But some of you have grown old and cynical, and your Father in heaven is younger than you. Now, that's, that's not an indictment of someone's age because you could be 14 years old and you're old and cynical. And you need to know that God, as Chesterton would say, that God is so young that he says to the sun every morning, do it again, and it does it again. And, and he says to the lily to sprout again, and it does it again. And, and we as humans, in our old age, we grow bored, but boredom is a sign of sin because little children they are those that can do something again and again and again. Yesterday I was playing, give me five, up high, down low, too slow with a little kid. And, and I did it once. And then we did it again. And then we did it again. And then we did it again. He said, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. I said, aren't you bored? He said, no, do it again. Because it's older people that get bored. And I'm not saying your physical age. What I'm saying is we have a God that says to the son, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. Because our father is young and our father has not grown weary and he does not grow old. And because of that, his mercies are new every morning. And some of us need to recognize that cynicism is a sign of sin. It is not a sign of wisdom. See, you need friends, but you need friends that point you to Jesus. In verse 24, when they come out, they didn't have friends that merely said, oh, girl, tell me about it. We need that. I'm not against that. It's not merely, oh, oh man, Peter, John, let's go beat up those bad Romans. Let's go beat up that Sanhedrin. Let's go bomb them. Let's go cancel them on, you know, Jerusalem Twitter. Let's go. That's not what they're saying. They're getting the, their go-to, when they went to their go-to people, this is, you push them, and it says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God and said, Sovereign Lord. Now, I, I just want to take this word sovereign, and I, I, I want to take this and unpack this in a lot of different directions just for a minute, because it's where we get the word despot or, or a ruler, this word sovereign. Everyone say the word sovereign. It, it refers to the unlimited nature of God. The, there are no limits. There are no restraints. There are no constraints. There is nothing that is beyond the reach of this God. That They have a very, let me just say it, a very big view of God. What I love about when I'm hearing some of these teenagers say, wait a minute, I've got a big view of God. I do not want anyone talking these teenagers off of the reality of how big God is. Because when you think God is big, that is when you are in touch with reality. He is big. He is the despot. He is the king of all the kings. He is the Lord of all the lords. Let me break this down. In Scripture, you cannot prove God. And if you are a reasonable person, that's a good thing. But I need you to know you do not find God by reasoning. You find God by faith. 
God is not reasoned. You cannot convince someone of God. He must be revealed, which is why even like some of the testimonies where some of you were saying, I wanna, I, I, God, I need you to reveal yourself to me. Indeed, the only way we ever figure out who God is is by revelation. You're not figuring him out by, a, by some kind of an algorithm. He's going to have to be revealed. He reveals himself in nature. He reveals himself in scripture. But make no mistake about it, it must take revelation. Which is why when he is getting revealed, when you're reading Ezekiel or Jeremiah or John the Revelator, you always hear them saying, I saw something and it was as it were. Or it says, and it was like a sea of glass. And it was like the angels were like, and it was, he is like. And there's all these references to what God, he is, he is a fortress and a shield and he's a shepherd and, and he's a father and he's a friend and he's, he's a rock. And there's all these metaphors, but I need you to understand, unlike everything else in the created order, there is nothing that compares to God. There is nothing that compares to his grandeur. There is nothing that c- compares to his majesty. There is nothing that compares to the depth of his wisdom. There is nothing that compares to the greatness of his understanding. There is nothing that compares to the, to the reach of his hand. There is nothing that compares to the, to the vision of his eyes. There is nothing that compares to the gentleness of his heart. Everything else you and me have comparisons for. There is someone that looks like you and there is someone that has a car that's like yours and there's a house that resembles yours. I need you to understand, friends, you and I are made in God's image, but you and I are made in the image of the one that is incomparable. There is nothing that compares to the greatness and the wonder and the splendor of God. Teenagers, if you're not bored with God, don't get bored with him because the way people get bored with God is when they take this high view and they make it a low view. And when you make a low view of God, you start praying low prayers, you start living a low life because you always live out of the nature of the God that you actually worship. So worship the big God. See, you need friends... But you need friends who point you to Jesus, who has unrestricted power, absolute domination, no limitations or constraints. One of the purposes of coming to church, when we gather in microchurch, in homes, and in macro church, in a place like this, is that someone's got to remind me, in a world of many comparisons, that there is a God who has no comparison, and he adores me. Teenagers, the God that made everything adores you. What in the world? Parents, moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, college students. The God who speaks and spins the universe into existence adores you as much as you've ever adored a girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, son, daughter, grandchild. Add an infinite number to that to multiply by, and that's how God cares for you. See, you need friends, but you need friends who point you to Jesus. Verse 25, it says, uh, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David. Why do the nations rage? See, you need friends that know how to pray the Bible. I want you to notice, they're going to Psalm chapter 2. Now, this is interesting. I don't want to make too much of this, but I don't want to miss this either. In verse 26, the kings of the earth rise up against the Lord and his anointed. They're, they go and they quote the verse that Hannah quoted, which is Psalm chapter 2. They're quoting Psalm 2. In other words, this was, this was wildly appropriate. This is what's known as a messianic psalm. 
I think I would argue that every psalm is in some way messianic in that it's pointing to the Messiah, which is Jesus. But Jewish scholars for thousands of years have acknowledged there are certain psalms that are known as messianic psalms in that they point to, foreshadow directly who the Messiah or the Christ of the whole world is going to be, the Savior of the world. And they would all affirm, this is the first great messianic psalm, Psalm 2. I just want you to see, these guys just got released. This applies. And the friends that they have know how to use the Bible. You need friends who know how to use the Bible. I was with someone a couple weeks ago, and, and they were, something, something was going on. They immediately took out their phone, took a video, made an edit, posted Like in 90 seconds, the video was up, online, edited. I'm like, dang, look at you. And all of a sudden it hit me. We are way better with our technology than we are with the Bible. I, I want you to notice the early church... When, when they just went through some persecution and some struggle, they come out. Their go-to was sovereign God. They got very God-centered. They got, they got a very big image of the, the grandeur and the majesty of God. And their next thing was the, they knew how to use the Bible. Friends, you need, you need friends that know what to do with the Bible when you're sick. Because the Bible has an answer for sickness. And the Bible has a word about depression. And the Bible has a word about fear. And the Bible has a word about pride. And the Bible has a word about worry. And the Bible has a word about everything in your... The question is, do you have friends that when you're weak, they will be strong when you don't know what to say, they know where to go, they know how to open this book, and they know... Teenagers, do you have some friends that know what part, what the, there are some parts of the Bible that comfort you. There are some parts of the Bible that challenge you. There are some parts of the Bible that give you wisdom. There are some parts of the Bible that really make you think. Do you know how to use the different parts of the Bible? The Bible says we should speak to one another and admonish one another with all wisdom when we're speaking of the scriptures. I'm just going to say it, friends. If you want to burn for the long haul, you need friends who point you to Jesus, who know how to call out with a high view of God, that know how to use the word of God. And then you notice what they do right here. It says that when they did this, they immediately go straight to Jesus because they said, indeed, verse 27, Herod and Pontius Pilate together were the Gentiles. They conspired against your holy servant, Jesus. You need friends who point you to Jesus. So my life got changed when I was a freshman at UF. I was in a dorm in Sled Hall, and two guys came, and they knocked on my door. I said, what's up? They said, we're inviting people to church tomorrow. Will you come to church with us? I said, okay. I came to our church on that day in the 1990s, Sled Hall, Murphy area, University of Florida. This is the only church I've ever been a member at, and I'm here all these years later as the pastor. Isn't that wild? Some of you need to go invite someone for Easter Sunday to come to our service and become the next senior pastor. There might be somebody that's supposed to be, they've got an appointment with God. My life got changed by someone saying, will you come to church with me where Jesus was preached and Jesus was presented and Jesus was lifted high. You need friends who point you to Jesus. But I want you to see where this ends, because in verse 31, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were together meeting was shaken. You, you need friends that when they pray, something happens. I mean, listen, I, there's some people that come to me like, Pastor Mike, I'm praying for you. And I'm like, that's great. 
I see people all the time on Twitter, like, thoughts and prayers are with you. I'm like, man, I, I don't, I, let's just get real clear. Everyone's thoughts and prayers don't do anything. Amen. I just, we just got to be a little more honest about this, okay? People are like, well, sincerity is all that matters. I'm sorry, if you've got cancer, you need more than a sincere Tylenol. I, we've really overdosed on how much confidence we're putting in, in sincerity. Well, if someone's got sincere thoughts and prayers, surely I'm sending up some good stuff. Man, listen, I totally appreciate that. Like, I very much do. Like, thank you. But if I got a cancer report, I'll be honest. There are some Christians that I know that when they pray, something happens. I want those people praying with me. Teenagers, some of you need to get to, I remember when, you know, several years ago, there was, there was a, a little thing that was going on with some of our teenagers. They were praying for sick people all over Gainesville. And they'd go pray for, and there was just reports of people were getting healed in this spot, and people got healed in this school, and people got, there was like this reputation that teenagers would pray and people were getting healed. I remember one of our Gainesville outreaches. We had like 20 different, 25 different churches that were all gathered together, and, and we had teenagers, and we set up little prayer booths all around the city. And they were just saying, hey, we're, do, we're giving out free prayers that was kind of interesting. You're driving down the street giving out free prayers. Well, someone was on their way to the hospital with their child who they had a, 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 a real urgent problem. And so they're like, you know, what the heck? We're going to stop. And they, they asked for prayer at one of the prayer booths from some teenagers. And so the teenagers prayed. And do you know that when they prayed for that child on the way to the hospital, God healed the child right there on the spot. The ho- it all got rendered irrelevant at the hospital. They came back and let us know. The dilemma we had was that we had a lot of different churches involved, like 20, 25 churches. A couple of the churches do not believe in healing. And it was one of their kids that had prayed. And so we were like, man, what do we say? And so we, we said, okay, let's not call it a healing. Let's call it a spontaneous manifestation of the love of God. And everyone was happy with that, and it all worked great. What, what I'm letting you know, though, is it sort of became clear there, were, there are people, the scripture says in James, the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous person avails much. Some people pray, and then there's not a lot that happens. But some people pray, and stuff happens. You want, you want friends, but you want friends that when they pray something, do you have some friends at least that can do something other than get on Twitter with you? Do you have some friends that could do something other than get on TikTok with you? Do you have some friends that could do something other than just do a a movie marathon with you? Do you have some friends that when push comes to shove, they will pray and you know that something is going to happen? So you need friends, but you need friends that point you to Jesus. But really the end of it is verse 31. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. So I'm going to go back here. I'm going to go back stage again. Because at the end of the day, the, the purpose of the coal is not simply, what's up? The purpose of the coal is not simply to burn. And this, is, this has been the danger at times. I think sometimes we've had a danger. Did we season these things? I think sometimes we've had the danger of just saying, oh, let's just get fired up for the sake of getting fired up. The reality is the purpose of the coals is to do this. Let's go ahead, Byron. There we go. I'm not sure if you guys can hear that. Okay, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. See, at, at the end of the day, the purpose of all of this happening is that the meat is going to hit the grill and that the meat's going to cook. God wants people in your life and in my life that he loves to get in touch with his love. It's going to have to be humble and gentle and meek and lowly, but boldly for something to happen. 
And that's what we're hoping is going to happen this, this season in Easter, that there's going to be people in your life that God is going to use you. I'm back. God's going to use you. Would anybody like to help me eat that steak after this is over? Anybody up for that? I think there's a, Brooke, isn't there a, a lunch with parents afterward? Oh, someone's saying, oh, you want some of the steak. Okay. What's your name? Make the, I can't see who it is. Okay, what's up? Les, is that Leslie? My Leslie? Like youth, talk about my youth group. This is my old youth group right here, all right? There we go. There it is. See, we need friends that point us to Jesus, and we need friends who point us to Jesus and keep us on mission. This is the whole sermon. You need friends who point you to Jesus and keep you on mission. And when you get off mission, you lose your fire. When you get your eyes off Jesus, you lose your fire. It's not that you grew up and got more wise, and so you're kind of above all that fired up stuff. I keep on finding people, they didn't, they didn't lose their fire because the fire wasn't real. They lost their fire because bricks don't make it alone, and they don't make it alone when their eyes are not on Jesus, and when they're not, when they're not living in mission. So we, we had a virtual missions trip that's, I think, going on from the Middle East right now um, that some of the people in our church, anybody in here do the virtual missions trip? I'm not sure if anyone did it. Some of you did, okay. Was it Middle East? Is that where it was? So there was a trip that our church took to another country uh, a couple years ago. And when they were there, they were in a prayer meeting, like in a microchurch prayer meeting. And while they were praying, um, one of the leaders, it's a live dead team, one of the leaders got interrupted. And they said, hey, guys, we need to pray urgently right now um, for, we're just going to call the girl's name Maria. One of the young ladies' name is Maria. She's a Muslim background believer, had been following Jesus for about a year. And she came in, and she's like, we ur- urgently got to pray. And they said, what's going on? And they're like, well, she's... She, she has found out. She's been following Jesus for a year. Her father and mother do not know because there's shame killings and all these kind of things that can happen if you're following Jesus. And, and you know, anyway, if someone's not going to stay the religion that they were. And, and anyway, she's like, hey, pray for me because I only see two options because of what's going on. They said, well, what's going on? Her father just arranged her marriage to a Muslim man. Now, just so you guys know, that's very normal in, in that culture, so don't look down on that like you would in America. Many, many people would do arranged marriages in many parts of the world. So that's not the issue as much as the issue was she knew she's going to be married to a Muslim man that will forbid her to read her Bible, to go to Bible studies, to be disciple, anything like this. So in her mind, she's like, I only have two options. One is I need to go tell my dad that, and my parents that I follow Jesus Christ now. But if I do that, this, this could cost me my life. And the other is I say nothing and I go marry this guy. And if I do that, I'm not going to be able to follow Jesus, at least not easily. And it's going to be whatever. And so she's like, I don't, I, will you pray for me that I will know what God's wisdom is and that I will have the courage to do it? And so they prayed for that. Well, one of the people that was on our team was in that prayer meeting and they kind of came back and, and they were talking to Andrew, our missions director, and they were just like, hey, why didn't we pray for Maria's safety? And she was really distraught, like, man, her life is in danger right now. Why aren't we praying for her safety? And the missionary overheard this, and the missionary came up to them, and they're like, hey, I heard what you guys are saying. I, you know, I, and I think she wanted to say it with respect, but she said kind of strongly, this idol of safety is something that's very unique to you Western American Christians, because over here everybody knows if you're going to follow Jesus, this might cost you everything. She's not asking to stay safe. She's asking to know what to do. So we're going to pray that God is going to give her the boldness and the courage so that she will know what to do. Teenagers and 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds and 80-year-olds and 90-year-olds and everyone else in between olds, the only way you'll ever be as bold as God wants you to be 
is when you've got friends who point you to Jesus and keep you on mission. I am praying that a lot of you are going to go and take cards and invite people for Easter. That, that is one of the points, honestly, today. And here's the catch, man. Pe- no one needs this church. Like, w- w- people need Jesus. No one needs Greenhouse. There are way better churches in this city than Greenhouse. There are way better pastors and preachers in this city than Mike Pats. No one needs me. No one needs this church. I'll tell you who everyone needs, Jesus. What everyone needs is the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection and what happens when a life is changed. Everybody needs friends that point them to Jesus. And by the way, real friends ultimately point people to Jesus. You need friends who point you to Jesus and keep you on mission. Let me end it like this. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1, it says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. I'm just going to read you out of my journal because this is how I was praying it to God. Lord, we always live up or down to whatever deities that we actually worship. If we know God is healer, then we will pray for the sick because he heals. If we know that he's a redeemer, then we have hope because there's nothing he cannot change. If we know that God is a provider, then we get courage to be generous and share. If we know that God is the great missionary apostle, then we will go, even when it's difficult. If we know that he is a protector, then we will not fret. If we know that he's a shepherd, then we have everything we need. If we know that he is holy, then we run from sin. If we know that he is wise, then we understand that his instructions are always the best, even when they don't make sense. But we need to know that our lives reflect and reveal our true theology. Because whoever you worship, in him you will live and move and have your being. Why are the righteous as bold as a lion? Because they are right with the God who is all the power, all the wisdom, all the redemption, all the mercy, the one who turns ashes to beauty, the one that redeems us from the pit, the one who heals thoroughly and saves to the uttermost. God, you promise to never leave us, and you invite us to demonstrate your greatness by partnering with you. You are our boldness. Boldness is not a personality. It's your person, your presence, your power. The early church held a high view of God and therefore lived up to that high view with powerful lives. We must get our actual thoughts to realize who the true God is because God is great and greatly to be praised. Why is this a big deal? Because God is so great that when you know that you're right with it, watch, boldness is not something you try to do. Boldness, it's, it's not an imperative. This is an indicative the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. This isn't something you strive to, to you know, conjure up enough boldness to go invite someone to church or share the gospel or pray for your waitress at lunch today. The righteous, you serve a God who is a healer. When you know that's the case and you see someone that's sick, something in you just goes, would you just let me give it a shot? Could I, would you let me pray for you in the name of Jesus? And if they say no, here's what I do. No sweat. But if my waitress is sick and she's limping and, and I walk up to her and I'm like, hey, could I pray for you in the name of Jesus? As many have said to me, well, I don't believe in Jesus. That's okay. He loves you. And I do too, even though I just met you. Would you let me pray anyway? Humor me. Sure. I can't tell you how many times I prayed for someone in public who starts to cry. And like, I thought you don't believe in God. They're like, yeah, I really don't. I'm like, but I guess he believes in you. See, you always live up to the image and the nature of the God that you actually worship. 
And when you understand that God is big and great, and I get it, he's incomparable, so the question is, how are we ever going to be able to comprehend the God who's incomprehensible? And friends, that is why the greatest news of all the news is Jesus. You and me could never get to God, so he came to us. You and me could never understand him, so he understood us. You and me could never become spirit without flesh, so he became flesh with spirit. You and I could never know what heaven is like, so heaven came to earth and told us. You and I could never speak his language, so he came down and spoke ours. In Jesus, we find the one place where we can finally understand who God is because he's revealed himself in his love by washing feet, by serving the poor, by healing the sick, by raising the dead, and by ultimately going on a cross where the only thing that could keep us unright with him is our sin, was nailed to the cross, He dies, pays the penalty for our sin, and rises from the dead so that if you believe in him, you are righteous. I'm going to say it again. If you believe in Jesus, you are righteous. But Mike, I don't feel righteous. Your feelings do not determine your righteousness. Jesus' blood determines your righteousness. You are righteous because of Jesus. You are loved because of the great work of God. But sometimes we can't see it. And I end it like this. I remember hearing the story of the soldier that went into one of the, the places that was being bombed in one of the war-torn countries during the, some of, one of the most recent wars. And, and there was someone that was in there that was trying to be rescued by a soldier. There was a, a soldier in all of, his, all of his garment. And he goes in to rescue this person who's drastically afraid as the buildings are falling and the, and the bullets are going. And, and it's just nuts. And he goes up, he says, come follow me. And they're scared. And he's, I mean, imagine, you're in this big suit. you got this armor. you got all the stuff on. And they're scared. He's got a mask. He's got all the stuff. And then he says, come with me, come with me. And they don't speak his language and, and all this. And finally he realizes they're never going to come with him because they do not trust him. So he takes off his mask. And he lays down his gun. And he takes off his uniform. And he walks over and he sits down next to this child. And he opens up his hands. And says, come follow me. He makes the eye contact. And now the child who previously was desperately afraid takes his hand and gets saved. Jesus came to earth because he knew that we would forever avoid the God who's trying to save us. The God who is holy and great in all of his ways is a God that we would never run after naturally. So he stripped himself of the garments of divinity that would have intimidated us. He came and was born in a manger. He came meek and lowly and meek and mild, and he opens his hands on a cross and says, come follow me. And when you do, you'll come alive. Come follow me. Believe in me. Trust in me. And when you do, you'll realize that the God who's meek and lowly is also the God that's great and mighty. That the God who died on a cross is the God that has defeated death in a resurrection. And when you put your faith in him, you change. And there's a boldness that comes. Boldness is not what you try to do. Boldness is who you become because of who he is.